all of us face different obstacles in life. There, we all experience things that hold us back. Maybe some of them are, are physical ailments, maybe f- physical uh, things that kind of hold us back, physical, physical limitations, like you know, we weren't quite tall enough or strong enough or fast enough. I remember as a kid growing up, I wanted to be a professional athlete, and, and I, I soon kind of found that I wasn't going to be quite tall enough or fast enough or strong enough or able enough uh, to, uh, to proceed on to like major college sports or even professional sports, though there, there, there's some in my head I still think I could do those things. I never was able to rise up to that. And maybe like, you know, I, I wish I was just tall enough to reach the, the, the top shelf of the cabinets. And I wish I didn't have to get a step to it. Or maybe I wish when I woke up in the morning, certain things didn't hurt so much. Or I wish I was strong enough to open up that can or that jar or do this or that. And sometimes when we're young, we're like, Man, I, I, I can't wait for that day when I can finally do those things. I think it was, I think it was Josiah yesterday. He's like, he's like, you know, Daddy, you know, you know, wouldn't it be cool if I could drive a car? And I thought, no. <laughs> and he's like, you know, how old do you have to be? And Jada was like, you have to be like 16. And he's like, Daddy, are you 16? Yes, I am. <laughs> a couple times over. And so, but, but, but you know, we go, oh, I can't wait till that moment when I'm bigger or stronger or able enough to do that. We all experience physical limitations. Maybe we, 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 we have different financial limitations. Maybe we have too much debt in our life. We, have, uh, we don't earn enough to, to make or do or, or, or have certain things that we either want or need. We all experience limitations in our life. And the same is true that we have these different obstacles, even in our relationship with God. Maybe as you read the Bible, maybe as you see, see the different characters, you see the way that God used them. And then you look and go, that's... God could it possibly use me the same way he used them. I don't fit the mold. I don't speak well enough. I don't have enough faith. I don't, I don't have what it takes. There's no way that God could use someone like me. I've made far too many mistakes for him to use me. See, all those excuses, all those reasons are just constructs in our mind. None of them is real. None of them actually keep us from God. None of them actually keep us from being used by God. They're lies told to us by the enemy. They're lies told to us by Satan to keep us from reaching the potential that we have in Christ. And so what what if the lies that we believe lock us in a prison of our own making? What if the lies we choose to believe really truly just lock us in a prison of our own making, when in reality, we're free. What if in reality, we are free, and each morning, we choose to pick up the shackles, and each morning, we choose to pick up the chains, and each morning, we lock ourselves behind the gate of our own prison, because shame often will put us in a prison of our own making. It locks us in. It keeps us from pursuing who we think, who God thinks we really are. See, there's a comfort in our own prison, right? There's a comfort in, in our own prison. It's like, it's like, this is what I've made. I'm comfortable here. And what if we are more fearful of freedom? What if we're comfortable in our own cell, in our own prison, in this own place that we've designed and, and actually have freedom to live and freedom to live how God desires us to live actually is the most fearful thing we've experienced. See, we all know people who have locked themselves in prisons of their own making. 
They look at themselves and, and all they see are their warts and all they see is the airbrushed realities of their friends. Everyone else's existence is perfect, but all they see are their faults and failures. They compare their reality to everyone else's highlight reel. This is one of the unintended consequences of social media. While it has enhanced communication, especially amongst those friendships, those relationships that span the miles, that span a, a great distance. But what we end up doing is we also see an increased anxiety because we just don't measure up. We have this feeling of lack that has developed, that has develops, that develops a feeling of shame because what we see are everybody else's greatest hits and all we see are our flops and our failures. We see that we don't measure up and we forget that other people fail too. We forget other people's lives aren't quite as perfect as they might seem on the surface. Well, we're not as smart or as pretty or as successful or, or, or we might not have as much money as someone else. And so that might mean that we're, we don't, we're not worth as much. And so you see other people's perfection and all we see are our blemishes. And then we begin to think, how can I be accepted for all the things that I've done? Because of who I am. This must be the kind of person I am. And shame builds. And shame is a prison of our own making. But shame doesn't have to be a prison. As we talked about last week, Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to set us free from from the shame that binds us. Jesus came to set us free from the sin that holds us back. Jesus came to set us free. And so we no longer have to live in sin and bondage and defeat, and failure, Jesus came to set us free. And so today we're going to encounter a man who knew shame, not because of anything he had done, because of the stigma of what happened to him, that he was going to be set free, free from whatever guilt or hurt or shame that he had in his past. He was going to be set free to live the life that he always wanted to to live. No matter the cause of your shame, Jesus has come to set us free. So if you would today, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. If you are here last week and you're like, didn't we do 8 verse 1 through 4 last week? We did. And we're not going to go through all the 8 1 through 4s of the Bible. That would be an, an interesting study, I'm sure. Uh, but it just so happened last week we did Romans, this week we did Matthew. It's not, we're, we're, next week we'll do a completely whole different set of verses, so we'll just keep you on your toes. But if you're turning, uh, as you turn there to Matthew, uh, Ma- Matthew uh, is a, a bit, writes a bit differently than some of the other gospel writers. Luke uh, writes in a very uh, chronological way. So he went through and he, did a, 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 he interviewed a whole bunch of different people to find out all the different things that happened in the life of Jesus. And he put them in, in kind of probably the most chronological way, chronological order possible. Well, Matthew has a completely different reason for writing. He is writing to a mainly Jewish audience, and he's trying to explain to them that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And so in all of his writings, what he is doing is he, you know, he is uh, trying to show that Jesus was the uh, fulfillment of all these different Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And so throughout his, throughout his gospel, what he will do is he'll have uh, different sermons, different te- moments of teaching that he will show Jesus doing. And so he'll have Jesus teaching. Then after that, he'll show that there's this fulfillment of that teaching by these different miracles and healings and uh, different uh, other interactions with people. 
And so where we find today, uh, Matthew writes that after uh, Jesus uh, preached the Sermon on the Mount, that he came down this mountain. And whether it happened that way or not, it, it, at some point Jesus taught, and at some point he healed this person. To our Western mind, sometimes we kind of feel that, 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 ina- that inaccuracy would falsify what happened. But Matt, to Matthew's audience, his Jewish audience, it wouldn't, th- that would not matter so much. He would, they would see the topographical nature of how he uh, was writing, that he was p- piecing these scenes together, and for them, it, it would not be that sort of way. And so just to let you know, if you're like, well, it doesn't read, you know, it doesn't read in this order in Luke, it doesn't read this way in, in Mark, that's kind of why each of the different gospel writers had a different reason for, putting, for organizing their material the way they did. And so Matthew writes for us, after coming off the Sermon on the Mount, he says, When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. Isn't that kind of funny? Because we in the church are like, hey, we should go tell everyone about Jesus. But Jesus heals this guy and he says, don't tell anybody I did this. He said, see see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. As Jesus is going throughout his ministry, wherever he goes, people follow. Jesus almost always, it almost seemed like he always had this entourage traveling with him. He had the 12 disciples. There were others who traveled with him wherever he went. I mean, if you think about through different the stories of Jesus' life, how did 5,000 men end up in one place? And it not be like a promise keepers rally or some other men's convention. And, and it wasn't just the men there. There were women and children there. There were like fifteen or 20,000 people who gathered together on a certain day because Jesus was in a certain place. Because Jesus traveled around, people went and followed Jesus. And so all these villages, all these towns, all these cities, wherever Jesus was at, they would go to where Jesus was. And so one day, Jesus was teaching. Maybe, it was, maybe this happened right after the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was up on the mountain, and he was teaching. He'd been teaching them all day. He goes down the mountainside, and he comes, as he comes down the mountainside, people are following him, and he comes into this town, and, or comes into this area, and, and this man with leprosy approaches him. He comes up to him, and I don't know if you know anything about leprosy, but leprosy, especially back in the uh, first century, was a, an incredibly contagious disease. And it had this stigma that you had to like, live outside. They would quarantine people who had leprosy, and they would quarantine them outside the city. And they, they would, whenever they came in and came nearby people, they had to yell out, unclean! Can you imagine that tomorrow? You, you know, go through the, the, the grocery store to get some groceries. You go to the office, and you know, maybe you've got a little bit of runny nose because of allergies or a cold. And you go, Cold! I'm sick. Maybe you cut yourself this weekend doing some sort of yard work and you're like, you know, weeping sore, you know, whatever it might be. Can you imagine having to do that when you walk into a place? And they had to, they had to call the people, they had to warn people of their awareness, the proximity that they were coming near people. And Jesus was traveling, and he's approached by this guy, and Alfred Edersheim, 
who was a Jewish convert to Christianity. He was a Bible scholar, and he wrote a book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And he wrote this. He said, wrapped in mourner's garb, the leper passed by. His cry, unclean, was to incite others to pray for him, but also to avoid him. No one was even uh, to, to salute him. His bed was to be low, inclining towards the ground. If, if he even put his head into a place, it became unclean. No less a distance than four cubits, or about six feet, must be kept from a leper. Or if the wind came from that direction, a hundred yard, a hundred feet was scarcely sufficient. Rabbi Mayer would not eat an egg purchased in a street where there was a leper. Another rabbi boasted, boasted that he always threw stones at them to keep them far off, while others would just hide themselves or run away. And so this guy comes, a large crowd. There's a lot of people there. And he breaks protocol. He breaks the rules. He breaks the social norm. And he approaches Jesus. And not only does he approach Jesus, but as he approaches him, he kneels. He kneels before him. Maybe it's a sign of humility. Maybe he realizes, I got this illness, I got this disease, and, and these people who are around me, they don't want it, and I, don't, I really don't want to be here, but I know that the only person who can heal me, the only person who can set me right is Jesus. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come, and I just imagine his head's hung low. He is on his knees before Jesus. That word for kneel, though, is also the same word for worship. And so maybe, just maybe, this leper knows exactly who he's talking to. As the crowds have passed by, he's heard the talk. He's heard what he's done, and he, he's heard about his teaching. He's, he's heard, and maybe, just maybe, he's putting one and one and two and two together. Making, could this be the Messiah? Could he be the one? Could he be the one we've been waiting for? And does, does he come before him kneeling not only in humility, but does he kneel in worship? He comes before Jesus, and he kneels. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And you can possibly hear the shame in those words, can't you? If, if you are willing, if. I mean, if's always conditional, right? You can get a cookie if you clean your room, right? Maybe you've said, you know, we, we can take that trip if we get the bonus. We, we'll go to the beach if the weather's nice, if leaves the possibility of a no. Lord, if you are willing, he is far too humble. He's, he realizes he's got, he brings far too much shame to boldly ask Jesus for what he wants. And so he knows to, to hedge his bets, to, to protect himself a little bit. He comes up to him and says, Lord, if, 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 if you're willing, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If. See, a lot of times we're like the leper. And we look in the mirror and all we see, all we see is our sin. All we see is our shortcomings. All we see is our faults, our failures. We see all the reasons why God wouldn't choose us. 
Our shame holds us back from going all in with God. It holds us back from being used by God because shame always takes us out of the game. Shame takes us out of the game. How often do we read a story in the Bible and thought, man, I would love it if God would use me like that. Maybe we've heard a story about how God used somebody to reach that one, maybe to reach 10, to reach 100, to reach thousands. Like, man, wouldn't that be awesome if God would use me to do something like that? And then the next thought, all we see is our shame. All we see and all we can think about are those reasons why God wouldn't choose me, why God wouldn't choose you, why God wouldn't choose us. I know I'm loved by God, but I want to be used by God, but I want to do this thing. I'm going to serve in that way, but, and there it is, shame taking us out of the game. This man's shame could have held him back. He could have thought, there's no way that Jesus is going to heal someone like me. He's not going to give me even the time of day. And if I go and if I, if I approach him, I might, they, what will they say about me? Do I want to get hit with rocks again? Do I want to hear those names and those words said about me? He could have decided it wasn't worth the risk. His shame had already taken him out of his game, out of his life, away from his friends and his family. But he said on that day, today, today is the day that it stops. Today I'm getting back in the game, and he comes and he brings his shame. He says, Lord, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then it happened. No harsh words, no rocks thrown, no names called. It happened. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He did did what? He reached out his hand and touched him. And I don't think we grasp the depth of that. Because who knows how long it had been since he had felt the touch of another human's hand. Who knows how long it had been since he had felt the touch from anyone. He had lived in quarantine. He had this disease that he had to yell unclean. He had to keep his distance from people. People would throw rocks to keep their distance from him. And Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him. And then he heard the words he never thought he'd hear. I'm willing, be clean. I'm willing be clean. And immediately the leprosy is gone. Immediately he is clean. Immediately he is free. Almost. I mean, isn't he always going to be known as the leper? You know, 
Is it, you know, e- even though he's restored, even though he's clean, even though he's back into his family, he's going to be welcomed back into town. Isn't he always going to be like, a, like that, that's John the leper, right? That, that's Philip, that, you know that guy who used to have leprosy? I mean, you know those people, right? When you think about people in high school or college or kid, kids in the neighborhood growing up, it was always like so-and-so that they had to this. They're the one with the braces. They were the ones who had the stutter, the one who couldn't talk, right? the one who, who, who was clumsy and couldn't run. Isn't, wasn't he always going to be the leper? One of the hardest things about Jaden's ordeal in January before we knew any answers, before we knew anything that was going on, he, he looked at me and he said, Dad, when can I be a normal kid again? Because in his mind, he was going to be the sick kid. Before we knew it was going to be as simple as it was, even though it wasn't really simple, simpler than alternatives. <laughs> you see, he had already identified himself. How often, how quickly do we identify ourselves with our shame, with our hurt, with our faults, with our shortcomings? Wasn't this guy always going to be the leper guy? And did Jesus really have to touch him? I mean, read through the Gospels. Jesus heals people with words. If you read through Matthew, the very next healing, the very next paragraph after this one, Jesus heals a person who's in a different place. There's distance between them. He doesn't have to be even, he doesn't even have to be present to heal the person. Did Jesus have to touch him? Yes. Yes, he did. Not because that's the only way Jesus' power could have gotten to him. Jesus' power wasn't limited to touch. It wasn't limited to just words. Jesus, on one level, did not have to touch him, but he did. See, this man had a physical need. This man had leprosy, and he needed to be cleansed from it. He had this physical problem that had caused so much pain in his life. But he, he not only did he have leprosy, he had, he had, another, he had another need. He had, he had a problem even much greater than that. He had this emotional problem, right? We had this emotional need, and we, we talked about this just a second ago, that how long had it been since he'd been touched by someone? How long had it been since he felt the touch of another human hand? It's amazing. When, when, when babies are just born, sometimes they have trouble regulating their, their breathing and their heart rate. And when they have this difficulty, a lot of times they will take the baby out of their clothes and just have them in a diaper and they'll put them, just their naked flesh against the naked flesh of their mother or their father. And they'll watch the baby's breathing and heart rate regulate. The touch of another human's flesh. How long had it been since he had felt that touch? Think about you. If you went days and weeks and months and years without the touch of another human, how devastating would that be for you? He had a physical need. He had an emotional need. Not only that, though, he had much even greater than that. He had a social need. Others were going to wonder, is it okay to touch this guy? I mean, I know he no longer has, but can I still get it? Is he still contagious? Right? I mean, you, you got a friend who's either sick or their, their kid's been sick, someone in their family's been sick, and then you guys are getting together, and you're like, guys, are they contagious? 
because that thing that you had, I don't think we want in our house. We're down with sharing, but that, that we, we, let's not share that. I mean, we're friends and all, but friends don't let friends pass flu to each other, right? We're with, is it going to be okay? Can we, can we, are we going to get what he had? See, Jesus made the man whole. He made him clean. He made, he made it clear when he reached out his hand and touched him. Jesus, do you, do you know what you just did? You, he's going to make you unclean. Jesus touches him and restores him, and he tells everyone, it's okay. He's welcomed back into the family, back into the community. He is well. But there's one more need that he had. One more need that he had, a need that we all have. And it was a spiritual need. See, his leprosy had separated him from worship. He was not allowed into the temple. He was not allowed into the synagogue. He could not come around people. He could not come to a place and worship God. He was separated from God. He was separated from his his faith community. And so what does Jesus tell him? Jesus touches him. He makes him whole. And then he says, go, go to the priest and show yourself to the priest. Show yourself to the priest. And offer the gift that Moses commanded. And the priest would see, would look at his body, he would check him out, he would offer the sacrifice, and he would be welcomed back into the community. He'd be welcomed back to worship God again. See, our shame may take us out of the game, but the good news is we do not have to stay out. We can come back to God. God, through Jesus erased our shame, just like Jesus did for this guy. He does the same for us. And it may not be through a physical touch. It may not be through the removal of a disease. But we all have this spiritual need that can only be met by Jesus. There's nothing we can do. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't pay for it. I mean, we talk about rising health care costs. There's no way that we could cover the cost of the, the solution that we would need for our sin. And while shame takes us out of the game, it's grace that restores us to our place. Shame may take us out of the game, but it's grace that restores us to our place, that you are loved and you are accepted by God. Where you are, as you are. Jesus didn't cast this guy away. He didn't say, get away from me. Jesus doesn't throw rocks at him. He doesn't call him names. He doesn't chase him away. When this man who has this stigma, this shame, when he approaches Jesus, Jesus touches him and changes his life. When this man approached Jesus on that day, a change occurred. A change occurred. His physical body was made well. The leprosy he had in his body was removed. And I have no clue what those scars would look like. Maybe he had lost fingers or a hand or an appendage or maybe he had scars and wounds. Can you imagine? Maybe he had a a leg that didn't work so well and he kind of had to drag it along. 
And Jesus touches him and his whole body's restored. He says, look, things begin to move and feel and look the way they're supposed to. Change occurred. What once was was no longer and the same is true for us. When we accept God's offer of grace, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we submit to him in baptism, when we receive his gift of grace and salvation, Jesus accepts us as we are, but, and he accepts this man as he was, but he does not let him remain as he is. He didn't chase him off. He didn't throw rocks at him. He didn't avoid him. But Jesus didn't let him remain as he was. He removed his leprosy. He removed his shame. And through this encounter with Jesus, a change occurred, and he was restored. He was restored. See, this man no longer bore the scars, bore the pain, bore the uh, appearance of leprosy. His shame was removed. But how often in our life do we carry around the scars and shame of the sin we bear? See, Jesus loves us as we are and where we are, but he loves us too much to allow us to remain there. Just like he didn't let this man remain with leprosy, he healed him and cleaned him and restored him to community, to, and restored him back to his family, back to his life. He does the same for you and I. He loves us where we are. We don't have to get our life cleaned up to come to God. But after we come to Jesus, after we accept him as our Savior, He then doesn't let us remain in our sin. He longs to change us to look more like him. See, he restored this man's physical body. The leprosy was removed, but this is not about a physical restoration. For these bodies that we are in are just temporary homes until we get to our eternal home. Scripture says at that point, we will remove the perishable and be clothed in the imperishable. If you don't like your body now, Just wait a few years and God will give you a new one. One that looks and works the way it's fully supposed to. It's not about a physical restoration, though the healing was impressive. This is much more about a spiritual restoration. Go, he says, go, show yourself to the priest. Let him inspect you. Let him check you out. Offer the gift so you can be restored spiritually. He was physically restored to his family, to his life, to his community. But much more important, he was restored spiritually back into relationship with his God. And this is what we have to offer the world around us. This is why the gospel is good news. Because we offer life in exchange for death. We offer freedom in exchange for bondage. We offer acceptance in exchange for shame. There is no place for shame in the life of the Christian. Either personal shame because of sin, because just to get the secret out, we all sin, right? I mean, none of us is perfect. Your sin may be different than my sin, but guess what? We all have sin in our life. Sin has borne its effects in our life and in our families, in our relationships. We all sin. It's not a secret. 
We need to put aside that shame because God's grace covers it. There's no place for shame in the life of the Christian. But neither should we go on living a life of sin. In a few weeks, we're going to look at a story. We've got another encounter with another person with Jesus. And he looks at the woman and he says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. We may still have sin in our life and we will battle sin in our bodies and its effects and its shame in our life. But we ought to strive to go and to sin no more, to strive to live more and more like Jesus each day that our love for him will grow so great, so deep, that our desire for sin will seemingly waste away. We, we, we will fail. But when we fail, there's no need for shame because God's grace covers it. And neither, <clears throat> neither should we, we be in the business of shaming others. <clears throat> Other sin is no greater than ours. All sin separates us from God. It breaks our relationship with him. And we all stand in need of restoration. See, shame is a prison. But Jesus came to set us free. Sh- shame is a prison, a prison that we make on our own doing for our own reasons. But Jesus comes and he sets us free so we no longer have to pick up those shackles. We no longer have to pick up those chains. We no longer have to lock that door on that cell. We can live free in him. And we must get rid of the shame so we can be free to be who God wants us to be. And as we live free, we need to free others from their shame so they can live life, the life that Jesus offered them. As we walk out of here today, we need to go and sin no more. We need to strive to remove sin from our life. We need to strive to live fully and wholly for him. Most importantly, we need to remove the shame so that we can be fully restored back to relationship with our Father. Jesus bore our shame on the cross in his body. The nails that pierced his hands and feet, the blood that poured out for us, his body broken and bruised. In his body, he bore our shame so that we might be set free. And so for those of us who have claimed that freedom, those of us who live in that freedom, we have been charged to go and to share others So just like Jesus came to set us free, we can set them free as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we no longer live in our sin. We no longer live in our shame. But that, Father, we can live in your freedom. That we can live in in light of your word and your plan for us. Father, I pray that today, today we can learn to live in that freedom. And we can go and help others live free as well. Father, shame is is a tool of the enemy. Shame and guilt have been a tool of the enemy that he's used too long to hold us back from living a life that you so truly desire us to live. Father, you have gifted us. You've empowered us. You've shaped us and you've changed us. 
that we might live wholly and freely for you. So Father, today I pray that you would set us free from our sin and our shame. That we might live in the light of your glory, the light of your grace that you've given us. That we might share that with others. They may come to know you as we do. God, you're so good. We thank you for the freedom and the mercy you give us each day. Lord, let your word wash over us. May this story remind us each day that you are great, that you are good, that you desire for us to live in relationship with you. Father, may we strive to lead others to know you as well. In Jesus' name.